There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to America Can We Talk. I love that America celebrates Memorial Day weekend. I love our whole country observing the idea that we are just grateful for the ultimate sacrifice of so many Americans to give their lives in defense of this country. And I love that we honor their families, their their loved ones who lost their family member and will just never have that person with them the rest of their lives. But I also think one of the most important ways to honor those who die protecting America throughout our history— is to recommit with vigilance to protect the idea of America, to protect America, the America they fought for. And I want to just talk about a simple thought that um, was printed. I, I love this quote. It was from John Stuart Mill, the 19th century philosopher, who wrote in The Contest in America, he wrote this, War is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. The decayed and degraded state of moral and patriotic feeling, which thinks nothing worth a war, is worse. A man who has nothing which he cares more about than he does about his personal safety is a miserable creature who has no chance at being free unless made and kept so by the exertions of better men than himself. In modern-day English, if you're not willing to fight, You're willing to be enslaved by the bullies of the world. And I want to talk about America today, the defense of America, where we stand, and what we need to be defending. But I want to say one more thing about battles America has fought. In every single, throughout world history, but just take American history, the course of battle has been different based on the time, the era we lived in. Just think about the movies you've seen where they depict what it was like to fight the Revolutionary War. You had soldiers lined up in lines, the uniforms on. I mean, just hideous atrocity, just line after line of people. But that's how they fought the war. That's what they did then. And then fast-forwarding, I'm skipping a bunch of wars. Think about the bombers and the airplanes in World War II. And then Truman having to decide to drop the atomic bomb to end World War II. We had to deal with and figure out who our enemies were, what their goals and tactics were, and then tailor our fight to beat that. Moving forward after World War II, think about guerrilla warfare in Vietnam. We learned that it wasn't anything like the Revolutionary War, and it wasn't similar that much to World War II. We had to fight guerrilla warfare, understand how they fight, what they do, so we knew how to fight back. And even during what was called the Cold War, which was our attempt to fight back against the spread of communism, a lot of that war was about propaganda. It was about the idea that we had to instill in Americans again the clarity of thought that said socialism and communism are pure evil they are aggressive and our job in america is to stop that spread to stand up for the freedom the liberty that is inherent in america and so we had to spend a lot of money in that war building up our um, supplies our military our military equipment so that we were able to to essentially stand down the soviet union the spread of communism well, today, in 2017 in America, again, the way to honor our veterans is to recognize the threats we face and how we fight back against them. 
And I'll just tell you, if you don't know, the biggest threat to world peace in the world today is Islamic jihadism. Or to be more precise, something I want to talk about in the next segment after the break, which is this idea called Sharia supremacism. This is the pit of the problem America faces dealing with the battles with radical Islamists around the world. We are not fighting every Muslim in this world. It's not all Muslims. What we're fighting, a very large faction of Muslims, a portion of them, who embrace Sharia supremacism, a total political, uh, totalitarian political ideology. And that's who we're fighting. And then you think about the tactics. As we learn tactics fighting other wars, the tactics we, that our enemy is engaging in right now. Sharia, Sharia supremacists do not think there should be any separation between religion and politics. They'd replace rule of law with Sharia law. They do not. They impose barbaric ancient Sharia law, which crushes individual liberty, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. They systematically discriminate and commit violence against women and non-Muslims, they actually believe they are justified in killing infidels, anyone who will not convert to to their beliefs in Islam, whether it's Jews, Christians, or even other Muslims. And I mention this to say is here's where we really stand in 2017. We have a segment of the world's enormous Muslim population simply committed to the destruction of all that we love about liberty in America. We have to understand the tactics they use, and we have to fight back using those against those tactics. One big tactic, I'm going to explain more about it after the break, is called hijra. Within Islam, the idea of hijra is jihad by emigration. We look what's happening in Western Europe, in England. Uh, we look at the just horrific, unprovoked violence against the populations in those areas of the world. What we are seeing is their willingness and friendliness to bring in refugees has emboldened those among the refugees who think their job is to be is to spread Sharia. The Sharia supremacist mentality is what is at work in Europe. And so our job in America is to try to prevent that from coming here, which is why— President Trump's executive order needs to be closely examined and should have been upheld by the Fourth Circuit. Don't go away. Talk to you after the break. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in. Okay, if you're listening to our show on Facebook Live, which we appreciate you doing, we did get some messages saying the sound was too loud, and so I think we might have adjusted it. Um, Anyway, so let us know. Keep commenting. That's great. You know, on this Memorial Day weekend, I do want to just spend a little more time talking about this really just almost impossible to overstate the importance of this idea, which is in every generation, in every era— You have to defend your country against the challenges 
that you face then, given who your enemy is, what their tactics are, what they're trying to do, and you have to gauge your response to that. This sounds like, okay, one of my best friends in law school used to have this expression, a PGO, which stood for a pointed glimpse into the obvious. So she'd say, oh, that was a PGO. But I mean, yes, the calibration of your response and the the style response has to be tied to who your enemy is. So back to what is happening today with all of the Islamic jihadists, with the Sharia supremacists. They are pushing their way into other countries. They have moved, we have people moving into Western Europe. And once they have a nucleus of people, they are engaging in, not all of them, but some of them, agitation against their host country. I could list all the countries. You watched it with horror. We had four events in the last month. We had Manchester, uh, Indonesia, the Philippines, which are not Western European countries. Um, we have had attacks in Paris and Nice and Brussels. So we watch all that in America and we realize some segment of the Islamic population in the world does want to engage in aggressive you know, a conquest ideology, aggressive attack on the world. They want to conquer the world for Islam. So when you're the president of the United States and you see what's happening and you want to have, you want to take the steps appropriate to defend against what you watch is happening in the world, the most logical thing is, of course, you're going to try to figure out who is coming to America, who is entering America in our, through our immigration policies, who's entering as refugees. President Trump recognized the problem that we don't know who's coming here. We could be bringing people to America who will be the next you know, Manchester concert bomber, the next San Bernardino killer. And he doesn't want to do that. On his watch, he's trying to protect America. So he issued an executive order. And I would like to say, with no military experience at all, I will say that order, executive order, is, in, is a military parallel to the order you know, Abraham Lincoln had to give to the troops in the north. You got to go south. You got to fight until the south drops it and agrees that we're going to be we're going to end slavery. We're going to be one union. It is a military style order based on the president's role as commander in chief. That's what this executive order is. Now, I will say we're going to talk a little bit more in just a moment about it wasn't handled in the best way. But this executive order thing has been so so manipulated and attacked by the American left that it just is made to appear as though he randomly chose six countries out of thin blue air and decided, you know, yes, these are the ones for no good reason at all. We're going to have a 90 day stay. What he's trying to do and I'm about to get the mistake he made. But what President Trump is trying to do is say, how is it we can vet How can we figure out before people come here, are you in the ranks of the refugees who simply want safety and security in in Western civilization in America, or are you among the people who think that your job is to be a, 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 a... you know, jihadist. Your job is to come to America, get settled here, and then attack. It's a very difficult thing. It's not something you can determine by a list of questions in an interview. But he's saying, which many Americans and people around the world have figured out, we have to figure some way so we don't intentionally allow Islamic jihadists into America. We have to find a way to vet, which leads me to what I think was a singular mistake uh, in President Trump's executive order. 
he listed people, he listed countries that are genuinely the source of jihadist training. The two criteria made these countries make the list. One was they have a lot of jihadist training camps there. And number two, they have a very disorganized, unreliable government and therefore no ability to find out from that country who is this person. What's his history? They have no way to find that out. So in an attempt to protect America from not having a Manchester, not having a Brussels and Nice and Paris and all that's happening in Western Europe, he's trying to say, put a halt. I think, though, the second and this is, uh, you know, the second problem was, I think, in this executive order, President Trump got so bullied by the left that he did not want to identify that, yes, we're actually concerned about Islamic supremacists. In fact, statements from his administration, the Trump administration, were like, this has nothing to do with Islam. What do you mean? It's nothing to do with Islam. Folks, of course it is. Of course it is. It's not all Muslims, but it is the faction of Islam that has become, whatever term you want to use, radicalized, inspired, believing as Sharia supremacists, they have the right to inflict their will on others, this is, it's a very difficult thing to vet for. It's a thing that would require searching the records of who these people are and do they have who are their connections and where did they go to school and what mosque did they go to and what did they teach in that mosque. It's a tough thing, but this is the nature of the battle in the world today. You can either say all immigration's done, or you can say somehow or other we're going to vet these people. I want to say, as my lawyer background kicking in, a couple other things to keep in mind about the absurdity of the fact that right now where this sits is the entire Fourth Circuit, Federal Circuit Court of Appeals, has ruled that Trump cannot enforce the executive order he drafted related to vetting. And let me tell you, at least three reasons, that is a completely unjustifiable. And by the way, Kirby Anderson, my roundtable friend, and is here today, and he's nodding along. He wants to chime in a minute. I just want to tell you three impossibly important things to keep in mind about this um, order. Okay, number one, the president has, under federal statutory law, 100% discretion to decide who comes here and who doesn't, to suspend any class of visas for any reason whatsoever. He could say no one can come here who's ever worn a purple shirt on a Tuesday. He can say that. He has that authority. Number two, there's a Supreme Court precedent on point which says exactly that the judiciary cannot question the motives of a president's immigration order. Can The case is called Mandel. I mean, what I'm getting at is, folks, this is a Fourth Circuit, a judiciary that has decided on political grounds they don't like this order. It sounds mean. It sounds like we're picking on Muslims. And they are ignoring federal statutory law, federal case law, all because they want to they want to decide based on Trump's statements in his campaign that he's just picking on Muslims. It's a Muslim ban, which, first of all, he could do. He has authority to do that. But the reason this is so relevant to, to uh, Memorial Day and relevant to where we are in America today is what is the b- basis if you don't want to vet immigrants more carefully? Oh, wait, one more thing about the Fourth Circuit. The Fourth Circuit actually said it'd be a very reasonable decision for the president to say that he is going to put this order in place to vet people coming from countries where there is Islamic jihadist training going on. That would be reasonable. But, said this, said this Fourth Circuit, 
even though that would have been an okay reason we would have held the order, given what Trump said during his campaign where he talked about Muslim ban, they are imputing his motive, deciding what he meant to do, applying that and saying, therefore, he can't. Folks, this is so un. Unjustified is it's, it's I mean it is in violation of the Constitution for this court to be doing what it's doing and and here's my question for liberals and now we have a minute and a half left no Kirby's wanting to say something but a minute and a half left I want to say this if you don't want to have serious vetting of all these people coming here what's your answer Kirby <laughs> I think one of the first things we have to have recognized as you just pointed out a minute ago is you have the judge Judge Roger Gregory saying that. The executive order speaks with vague words about national security and in context drips with religious intolerance, animus, and discrimination. And I think back to the point is, so what? If you start going down this road of taking some comment that some candidate said out on the campaign trail and use that to overturn a Supreme Court decision, to overturn a a particular legislation in Congress, or to overturn and declare unconstitutional executive order, you don't want to go down that road. Just think of all the things that President Obama said about health care. That would not be justification for overturning the Affordable Care Act. And so I think you've got a problem right there. And the Fourth Circuit Court now is demonstrating it may be even more liberal than the Ninth Circuit Court, if you can imagine. It may be even. And you know what I forgot to say at the start of this, which I thought should have been the start of this segment. I'm going to say it now. If you missed this, the Homeland Security Secretary, John Kelly, the guy who has, if anyone in this country has information about this, the threat of, of terror in this country, said on Friday on Fox News. I was telling Fox Fox host Steve Ducey on the way here. If he knew what I knew about terrorism, he'd never leave the house in the morning. This is the country, Donald Trump. This is a situation that President Trump faces in our country. His own people are saying, you wouldn't leave your home if you realize how dangerous America is. Trump's trying to say, let's not bring these folks here. And the Fourth Circuit says, bring them on. Okay, we're, we're running past, and this guy's going to start playing music while I'm trying to talk. So in the next segment, coming right up after our break, we have joining us Jeffrey Galt, chairman of the board and Chief Executive Officer of the Army Scholarship Foundation. Great Memorial Day guest. Don't go away. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. 
IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk, and thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope that you are enjoying your Memorial Day weekend. Maybe you have a day off work tomorrow, and I hope you find something special to do tomorrow to, beside relax, of course, but to uh, enjoy and really honor what Memorial Day is all about. And we are honoring Memorial Day on America Can We Talk. We have a guest in the studio tonight uh, who is, and I mentioned before the break, Jeffrey Galt, and he is chairman of the board and chief executive officer of an organization called the Army Scholarship Foundation. And very quickly, he's a retired soldier, was in the Army, served uh, two deployments to the Middle East and several other deployments also, including serving in Desert Storm. But now he works his organization, works the organization called Army Scholarship Foundation. I just... I talked to him about it actually at a meeting we were at recently, and I invited him to join me. So, first of all, good evening. Welcome. Well, thank you, Debbie. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell us about the Army Scholarship Foundation, what it's all about. Well, the Army Scholarship Foundation was founded by a group of uh, of Army veterans in 2001, uh, right after 9-11. 
they had all gotten out, and they want, and many of their contemporaries were deploying to Afghanistan uh, and for the war on terror, and they wanted to continue to serve the nation and the army, and so they founded this organization. Uh, and since 2001, uh, we have given uh, hundreds of scholarships to uh, military family members, uh, children of soldiers and spouses of active duty enlisted soldiers. So is this money is coming from the government or donations? No, no, no. Uh, while our active duty military do get support from the government for education, family members do not. Uh, there is, uh, they really have to earn their own way, if you will, for the large part. Uh, there are some provisions where portions of the parents' GI Bill, if they don't use it, it can be given to family members. But that's a very small amount. So they're not supported by the government. So these are young people who, some of them lost a parent yes. in, in yes. Iraq or Afghanistan, wherever they were in battle. Um, and some may have an injured parent who's not able to work and earn income. Is that yes. right? Yes, yes. And so these are getting, you're finding a way to send these young people off to college to kind of support the families of, the, of, these, of these veterans. Yes, and the need is very, very great. Uh, you know, they, they suffer significantly income-wise because of the frequent moves and the deployments. The spouses, most spouses in America work nowadays. And military spouses have to pick up and move each time the military member goes. And so they have to start over again. And they lose, on average, six to eight months of salary with every move and start over. I never thought about that. That's such a good point. It's very difficult. So what in raw numbers, like how many people apply a year for these scholarships? We get four to 500 applications every year. And, uh, of course, it's resource-driven as to how much money we have to be able to give. Last year we gave out 100 scholarships. So less than uh, one in four, a little bit more than one in four, were able to receive scholarships. This year, we have about four to 500 scholarships. Our, our application period just closed. And we're hoping to give a few more this year, maybe 130 so. Uh, so basically, though, we have to say no, unfortunately, to two out of three deserving military family members. That has to be so hard. And actually, I mean, it's hard to say no to any of them because if they are Determined enough to go to college. I assume they have to. This isn't just a form. They write essays. Is that oh, right? Oh yes, yes. They have. They write an essay application, and we look at their extracurricular activities. Um, it's a. It's a very comprehensive evaluation of the whole student, if you will. Uh, and just to talk, if if I may, about some of the please do the yeah. disadvantages that military members families suffer. I, I, I spoke about the frequent moves. Uh, they go from school system to school system. So, for example, if a kid moves from a, a midway through high school at Fort Drum, New York, to Texas, then they have to take the TAS test, and they have to take Texas history courses, and there are differing requirements for graduation uh, between the various school systems and states and other regulatory bodies. Uh, they suffer under extracurricular activities. When they move mostly in the summer, the class officers have all been elected. The cheerleaders have been selected. The teams are, are set. And so they have to try and break in. They may not qualify to be a class valedictorian because of differing standards or acceptance of transfer credits. Um, they have, of course, always the stress of the deployed or the potential worried about your dad. family member yeah, who may be mom. in harm's way. And so, uh, you know, as an example, I, and I spoke the, about the reduced spouse income up opportunities due to uh, moves and starting over, or they actually end up deferring 
their education so that they and their employment so that they can raise the kids because the dad is often away or the military member is often away. For example, my kids uh, were military children throughout their entire lives, and each of them went to eight different schools. Oh, my gosh. That, that is, I mean, we moved twice growing up, and, that seemed, and our own kids did, too, but that seemed like a really big deal to move twice. Yeah. Oh, my military gosh. kids move uh, on the average every two to three years. I never thought of all those repercussions until you just listed them. Just things like, you say, teams, class officers, and just honestly, those are official things, but also the, the social things, finding your crowd, who are you going to hang around with? I, I mean, you know, the, sorry to say, especially girls and getting cliquish in high school, yes. that's got to be so hard. It's very, very difficult, starting over with new friends uh, every time. And uh, sometimes they go into military installations where all the other Students are in the same boat, but yeah. coming from different places, so they're all sort of a, on a level playing field. But oftentimes they'll go into areas where it's primarily a civilian uh, school, and those kids have all been together from kindergarten on, and you try to break in as a sophomore or junior in high school, it's very, very difficult socially. Oh, it's got to be, yeah. It's got to be. So these kids are applying, and they're all, do they, do you, uh, what you're giving them in scholarship, is it a pretty much a portion of what their cost is going to be? It's a portion. Yeah, we don't have the funds to give them a free ride, if you will, or a complete scholarship. And what we find in our experience is that most of these military family members will cobble together uh, aid money and scholarships from various organizations to try and pay their way. Uh, And so we're just a small piece oftentimes of what what they're able to do. But many of them say to us, "If, if I hadn't gotten your scholarship, I wouldn't be able to go to school. Wow, I love that. So I don't know if you can tell stories without names, of course. We tell stories of a few of them. We still have, yeah, three and a half minutes here. As as I mentioned earlier, we have an essay requirement. Uh, You know, there's an application. They look at extracurricular activities and so on. And one essay that we received this year stood out to me. And one of the topics is, you know, tell us about an event that, that impacted your life. And so here's an essay that we received this year. An event that affected me in every aspect of my life and has given me insight to myself as a person happened on the 7th of May, 2008. I was a nine-year-old girl and was in the third grade. My dad was in the Army and had just left for his third tour overseas in combat. He was My dad was my best friend, and I knew I could count on him for everything. Late in the afternoon, I remember being next door at my neighbor's house when two uniformed soldiers Pulling into our driveway. Okay, you're not making cry on radio. It's one of the rules is in your contract. No. <laughs> I remember my mom screaming, mm-hmm. and I remember telling my neighbor that when two soldiers show up at your door, it means someone has died. It was yeah. my dad. This is the event that changed my life in every way. Okay. I'm glad you read that. Okay. I was going to tell our listeners, first of all, thank you for reading that, because these are... We, I'm sorry, were you finished? You were yeah. finished. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, because these are things you can't even imagine. And, I, you know, this whole notion of appreciating our military, even though we have all sorts of holidays, we have Memorial Day and Veterans Day, and we have armed services. I forget what they all are. But you can't really envision that life if you haven't been a military family. I mean, you just, you know, you can't envision everything you talked about in terms of, you know, finding new schools and new friends and too late to join the football team. But And then the constant, in the back of your thought, what if my dad doesn't come home? And then, and then it yes, happens. yes. And it may not be your dad or your mom, but it may be the parent two doors down 
who is the father or mother of your friend, your friend, your yeah. best friend. Yeah. So it's always present in the community. It's just an added stress factor for these military family members who are working as hard as they can, despite all these obstacles, to pursue their educational dreams. Okay, I love this. So people listening could donate to this. Okay, so we are speaking, in case you just tuned in, to Jeff Galt, who is the CEO and chairman of the board and CEO of the Army Scholarship Foundation. And so what what do people do if they want to donate to this? Well, they can go online to our website, www.armyscholarshipfoundation.org, one word, and there's a place there where they can donate, or they can send in a check. Uh, The address is also on the website, but we're at 11700 Preston Road, Suite 660-301, Dallas, 75230. Okay, God bless you guys for doing this. Honest to goodness, the Army Scholarship Foundation, we only have a few seconds here, but you... Maybe I'm not remembering this correctly. Didn't you tell me that with this organization, nobody's paid? Is that right? Nobody is paid. It's an all-volunteer organization. Very different from many of the military-related nonprofits that you see because some of those uh, come under scrutiny. Jeffrey Gall, thank you for coming in tonight so very much. This is Debbie Georgiatis and Kirby Anderson, my roundtable of one. America, can we talk? We'll be right back after the break. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in healthcare, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition in the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. 
Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact... First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. You know, we have a great time here. If you're watching on Facebook Live, we talk about on the break, like what we're going to talk about and what we should do next. And I was actually glad our guest this last hour, last segment, Jeff Galt, stayed with us. Uh, we were going to touch on one other subject uh, related to the um, just care for the veterans. And I have to say, I, I try to give so much tribute to America in this show and just the the... I think the great nobility and goodness of the vast majority of the American people. I think we live in a country that because of our Judeo-Christian founding, because of our um, just the culture of our country, we do so much to look out for each other. It's never enough. There's always more. But I love that there are so many people who do care about America and want to try to help. And so on this Memorial Day weekend, I want to give credit to one other, just mention one other organization. There's a group called 22 Kill, which um, I didn't like the name very much. But the uh, one of the founders of it is a gentleman named Jacob Schick. And we've been texting. I couldn't get him on today. I think he's, in, uh, he's doing something else tonight. But um, this organization is basically dedicated to trying to prevent so many suicides by our veterans. The, na- the name 22 Kill came from a number which we're not sure if is exactly accurate now or was in the history. But the basic notion is far too many veterans, and not just of recent wars, not just Iraq and Afghanistan, but wars going back commit suicide. And they're trying to reach out to veterans in need to connect veterans with services they um, might need that would help them. I mean, and I don't even know, I'm going to speculate because I couldn't get a mom, but you know, the services, whether it's counseling, psychological counseling, 
maybe get you medical help you need, maybe get you help you with addictions or all sorts of stories about veterans becoming addicted either to painkillers or just depressed about life and, and using some kind of drugs. So I just I love the idea this guy Jacob Schick tried to form something to help people. Oh, and one of the things I think is so incredible, if you post this on your website, is they have a ring that they put on their index finger because that would be the uh, finger that you might use to shoot yourself. And so they have done that. Of course, there are all sorts of events taking place. Even in my own church, they're going to be doing 22 push-ups. Everybody's going to try to get 2,200 people doing 22 push-ups just as a way to support them. They've also got a luncheon there for all the vets as well as first uh, responders and you have a uh, congressman sam johnson there and a variety of other things so anything we can do to help our veterans especially on this memorial day i certainly whole, wholeheartedly support that and i really think if you've you're gonna post this on your website aren't you because yes. jacob schick uh, he was on channel eight the other day and he's just got a phenomenal ministry and outreach for all sorts of individuals telling these guys you really are valuable. I went and fought for your freedom and for your ability to live in this country. Yep. And, you know, the uh, this story, this Jacob Schick, he tells, the, uh, first of all, the name 22 Kill, the, the quick summary of what they try to do, they describe as a global movement created by veterans with a mission to raise awareness of veteran suicide, mental health issues such as um, PTS, uh, educate the public about current veteran-related topics, recruit veteran advocates, a.k.a. battle buddies, someone just to talk to you maybe, who knows what you've been through. So this guy, Jacob Schick, said he was going to 7 he has some story about him going to 7-Eleven, and mm-hmm. someone asked him for money, appeared to be a veteran, and he gave him some money, and then he turned around and said, this Jacob Schick said to the homeless man who asked him for money, I want you to know you're worth it. And the homeless guy turned and said, what, what, what did you just say? And he said, I want you to know you're worth it. Um, I want you to know what I did for this country is for you. Oh, he lifted up and showed this homeless gentleman his prosthetic leg because right. he was severely injured yes, in, was. Uh, in Iraq and, and said, you're worth it and you're worth that money. Just that message to someone who's homeless that, you know, I fought for you. I want you to have a great life. Are you? Yeah. I don't know. We still have our Jeff Galton. Yes, Did you yes. want to chime in? Or? No, no, no. I agree. Yeah. It, it, Carry uh, the load and 22 kill. Anything you can do to support our veterans. You know, and certainly, again, I think it's just exciting to hear about the scholarship fund. So, again, you're going to have that link on your website, aren't you? Yes. Our website, well, two things. AmericaCanWeTalk.org is the website. But we're really active on Facebook, too. And the Facebook page, America Can We Talk, we post a lot of our links there. And so urge you to go to that. And I urge you to like the page, by the way. Please like it, but also feel free to comment. We have all sorts of commentary, and I actually get liberals commenting once in a while. As long as you don't use bad words, I leave your stuff up because I don't mind having a debate on any subject related to America. But I, I just think of the veterans thing. I've realized recently, you know, my husband and I are not veterans, um, and we became part of an organization in Dallas. We, we met a guy who's a Vietnam veteran who's extremely active. He formed a kind of a military group i don't know what to call it just a conversational group but he has we go to things and there are you know 40 or 50 people in the room and you go around the table and you know they're they're admirals and they were navy seals and they did all sorts of things for america you just realize most of civilian life in america you're just oblivious to it i mean you know and you know we have a great military and you're grateful it, you know, it's interesting. During World War II, 10% of the American population were in uniform. So everybody had a family member. Today, it's less than one half of 1% who have served. Wow. So no one really even knows or not, or many don't even know someone in the military. 
Absolutely. And on that subject, too, in the military, I think there are families where it's kind of assumed when you're growing up, you know, grandpa was in the military and dad is and Uncle Joe is and that's just what you're supposed to do. And similarly, in other families like ours, I mean, my dad was drafted, so he served in, in, in Japan in the Army, and my husband's dad was drafted and served, I don't know where it was, in World War II. But, you know, beyond that, it just wasn't, but military families, I'm just, I, I mean, you could get teary thinking about the service. And, and, and also, no matter how grateful you can be, they're not really appreciated in day-to-day life. Their life is so different from, from ours in, in, the, in just common, everyday America. So anyway, 22 Kill, um, and there are many other organizations, and there's actually a big event in Frisco. I noticed one of my second-hour roundtable ladies, Lori Medina, put something yes. on Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a, I don't know if it's a parade or just a celebration, but, but veterans can come and their families, and it's just kind of, a, kind of a big yay, thank you, we love you celebration. If you're interested, just Google Frisco Memorial Day, and I think it'll come up. Anyway, okay, well, I want to turn. We still have five minutes left in this segment, and I'm not— Nearly done talking about the Fourth Circuit. I, I hope have to not. go back to this. I hope not. There's a lot more <laughs> okay. to cover here. Yes. Well, Kirby Anderson, who I want to mention too, Kirby Anderson is the longtime host of a radio show called Point of View. And I was just honestly blessed every time he asked me to join him on the Friday afternoon. He has a round table. And um, I'll come every time he asks, unless we're out of town or something. And we have great discussions about all the sorts of issues facing America. but um, And so I'm so glad that he's become part of one of my roundtable people on America Can We Talk. And um, so beside, so you've been a long-term host of Point of View, uh, and you, I know you've written a lot. Yes. You chime in on your resume? Tell yeah, people who you are. 13 books and things of that nature. But let's get back to uh, the Fourth Circuit. We've only got a minute or two left. <laughs> okay. And, you know, again, this judge, Judge Roger Gregory, he has this idea that, even though this makes a great deal of sense, and even though that uh, Executive Order 13,780 is common sense, he still strikes it down. And part of the reason, as we pointed out a minute ago, Debbie, is that you have 15 members of the Fourth Circuit Court. But it's clear, according to Kelly Shackelford and Jay Seculo and lots of people, that at least 11 of those 15 are liberals. So this is why you get this really bizarre ruling, which on the one hand, they sort of acknowledge that the president has the authority to have a travel ban. They acknowledge that Syria and Iran and Yemen and Libya and Sudan and Somalia probably aren't the best places to bring people in without any kind of vetting. But nevertheless, after all of those very logical, common sense facts, you still have them voting 11 to 3 that this is unconstitutional. And if the same order were given by President Obama, it would pass with flying colors. So it shows the level of anger, animus, and almost irrationality that we have taking place right now in the Fourth Circuit. It's irrationality, too, on the part of the people who brought the challenge to it. Because, you know, under President Obama, he issued executive orders, not precisely like this, but he targeted some of these seven countries uh, and his executive, President Obama, under his executive orders, and was, I don't know what the substance of them was, I don't recall at this moment, but they were definitely targeting those countries as dangerous countries. And yet, and, and no one on the conservative side challenges him. They say, oh, he's the president. He can make executive orders. He's a commander in chief. I want to, again, folks, because I have it in front of me, and I have friends who say I take notes during your show. So if you're taking notes, here's one. <laughs> 8 U.S.C. Section 1182. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or of any class of aliens into the U.S., will be detrimental to the interests of the United States he may by proclamation and for such period as he shall deem necessary suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants 
or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem to be appropriate. That is absolute, unequivocal federal law saying he can do this. So the Fourth Circuit, you talk about made up of liberals, this is what's alarming about this. It's a very political call. It's this court deciding we don't like President Trump. And, and I mean, there's so many ways to fault this decision, but one is they say he's engaging in religious discrimination. That, and these people who can't come here temporarily under his order are not United States citizens. They don't have constitutional rights. You don't have a constitutional right if you're in Yemen or Syria or all those other countries in America at all. So it's a completely fatuous, I can't even think of the right words to say, unjustified decision, a political attack on the president. And this at a time when the Department of Homeland Security, the, the secretary, the guy who hears all of the intel, has said, if you knew how dangerous it is in America, you wouldn't leave your home. But we can't stop them outside the border. The people. So I'm mean, telling this Fourth Circuit thing is gonna is gonna continue to be a battle because now, and actually, we still have a full minute here. So now, Trump, our guest Jeff Sessions announced they're taking this issue to the United States Supreme, Supreme Court. Court. Okay, we've talked about that a lot. Neil Gorsuch I, is going to have a very different view than we have that uh, Judge Gregory gave to us. I know, but I know, but Kirby, you're very familiar with the Supreme Court. You could probably tell me the dates that they're all appointed, but I want to know what is what is John Roberts going to do with this case? What's Anthony Kennedy? Anthony Kennedy. He's gone off the reservation half the time. I'm worried about taking this to the Supreme Court. Well, I am a little bit, but I've talked it again, you know, on our talk show. We've had, uh, matter of fact, this last week, Kelly Shackelford and, of course, Jay Sekulow and some of the people I rely on. These are people that actually have been before the Supreme Court, argued cases before the Supreme Court. Some of them hope it would be 9 to 0, but if nothing else, I'm pretty sure you can estimate that it will be 5 to 4. Hopefully it'll be six to three, seven to two, but we'll see. You think I, they'll uphold the order? I don't see how you could. I mean, the United States Constitution, as Hans von Spauskowski said just the other day, commits the power to make foreign policy, including the decision to permit or forbid entry into the United States to the president of the United States. It doesn't give that power to the Fourth Circuit. It doesn't give that power to the Ninth Circuit. And frankly, given the Constitution of the court right now, if we can't get a 5-4 decision out of this court— the end of the republic is near because the rule this of law one is pretty still. will yeah. be over if we cannot get this overturned. I'm Debbie Georges. It's America Can We Talk. I have Kirby Anderson here on my roundtable. And in our second hour, we're going to talk about Secretary of State Tillerson not having Ramadan at the State Department. Who knew? Don't go away. Well, 